Romans 12, 4 through 13, and chapter 15, 5 through 7. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page number 811 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we through many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly, sorry. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Continuing on to chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to such to life. Sorry. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of God. You know, the summer we've been taking some time, as we do every summer, to take just a little bit of time to take a look at our thumbprint as a church, as who we are as a church. What is it that God has called us to be? Why are we here in this community? And what are the things that matter to us as we seek to build a thriving church in this great little town of, of Cave Creek? We've seen, uh, we've seen as we've done this that we call ourselves Ecclesia. That's our official name. Not only because it is, in fact, the New Testament word for the church, but also because it reminds us of some critical priorities that we never want to lose sight of as we develop a Christian community here in Cave Creek. For we don't want simply to have church, we don't want people to simply see church as a place that I attend, nor as a product that I consume. No, the church is neither a place to attend nor a product to consume, but as a person to follow. It's a community to be a part of. We are instead a people who are called. Ecclesia, the Bible word for church, means a called out community. So we always want to be people who are called and gathered and sent. And so we've taken a look to realize that we are called to faith in the gospel of Jesus, gathered in love as the community of Jesus, and sent with hope on the mission of Jesus. Gospel, community, mission. And you see there that I have highlighted the second of those three because we looked at gospel last week, what it means to be called to the gospel 
of Jesus. We saw the, 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 the worldwide wide scale of the gospel as God is doing something in the world. A new king has come into the world. His name is Jesus. The epic story of, of, of Israel has culminated in the person of Jesus, and now God is continuing his rescue project in the world, about which we sang earlier in Remedy, through the person of Jesus, and that this cosmic plan of God has personal implications as we respond in faith to that good news about Jesus. We're called to faith in the gospel of Jesus. We must personally receive the gospel, good news about Jesus. We must allow the good news about Jesus to change our lives, and then we must share the good news with as many as we can. We're called to be representatives for the gospel in our community and throughout the world. That's gospel. We're going to look today at this second one, second of the three, gathered in love as the community of Jesus. We're going to take a look at this whole idea of community this morning as Ruth read it for us in the, in the 12th and 15th chapters of Romans. Community is such a vital, vitally important part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's something that's very difficult for we rugged individualist Americans to understand how important it is to be part of a family, part of a community that we're not meant to uh, make it through life on our own. So we're going to take a look at this idea of community today under three headings, the centrality of community, the characteristics of community, and, uh, and the cornerstone of community. So let's take a look, and you have a place you can put this on your notes if you like as well. Let's look at, first of all, at the centrality of community. This is absolutely critical for us to see, and so difficult for us to imagine because we are rugged individualists in the Western culture and particularly in American culture. And the American culture of Western individualism, which while it does have many great things to promote, also makes us far too independent and far too willing to understand how important it is to be part of a, a connected group of people. Well, human beings are social beings. They're meant to live in relationship. We crave relationship, and so we need to understand what it is to be part of a community together. American Christianity has been way too influenced by the individualism of our culture. And here I sit in a Western cowboy bar, the epitome of Western rugged individualism, right? We've got some growing to do, some understanding to do. We're not meant to be the so-called Marlboro man, right? That's a bad image, I know, but you, you understand what I'm saying, right? This, uh, maybe the Lone Ranger would be a better uh, image as well. Uh, but American Christianity has been so influenced by the individualism of our culture. We have a Jesus and me approach to our faith. It's all about me and God. You know, the most popular way of sharing the gospel begins with a very personal message. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Three personal pronouns in the middle of that. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, that's true, but there's more to it than just a simple personal relationship with God. Often we see church as a means to our own spiritual growth. If it doesn't meet our expectations, we either quit or find another church down the street. Most people, many people think it's perfectly natural to do that. That's what they just sort of assume. The church is a means to help me grow in my relationship with Christ, and so uh, we just find the one that we like best, and if we like it, we stay. For a while, we go. We just go here or there, everywhere. We don't get connected to a community. Or we often assume that church is an entirely optional part 
of our Christian identity. What we need to see from the Scriptures is this is utterly foreign to the Scriptures. It's utterly foreign to the Scriptures. From the time when God called Abraham and promised to make of him a family through whom God would bless the world, God's plan has always involved a community. Individuals, yes, but an individuals gathered as a community. It was true for Abraham when God created him a family through whom he would bless the world. It was true on Mount Sinai when God called a people to himself. It was true for Jesus when he called the twelve to himself that they might be with him. And from the very beginning, it was true for the church. Church is not simply one resource among many that God has provided us to grow in our spiritual lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of a family, part of a body, part of a community. You need that community, and that community needs you. We're gathered in love as the community of Jesus. This is one of the great weaknesses of the American church and a great need to develop the, the idea that we are part of a community. You see, Jesus didn't just die to save individuals, although, of course, he did that. But he died to create a new community. And this is at the root of God's plan for the world. How was God going to change the world? He was going to change the world one life at a time as each of those lives became small communities which were planted like yeast in the dough, bringing about the kingdom of God everywhere it was. Yeah, this theme is all the way through the New Testament. Generally speaking, when the when the New Testament writers in the epistles, the, the letters of Paul especially, he will talk about these great doctrines of the church and how you get saved and all this. And then the next thing he does is tells you how to relate to others who are followers of Jesus. Because it's really important to him that people understand that they are a community together. It's true here in this book of Romans. And since we looked at it last week, I thought we'd look at it as a representative example of this week. So, Last week, if you were with us, we looked at the first chapter of this book. We saw that it teaches that we are called to faith in the gospel of Jesus. This is such an important theme in Romans that Paul takes 11 chapters to state the theme and to develop its implications. We're called to faith in the gospel of Jesus, that God has rescued us, and we respond in faith to that good news, and our lives are changed. We are part of God's family. But Paul didn't end the book with chapter 11. He goes on to chapter 12, where Ruth began to read for you. Because when Paul finally finishes talking about the fact that we are called to faith in the gospel, he immediately goes on to stress that once we respond to the gospel, we become part of a community, God's community, the body of Christ, no less. And that as such, we have some very important responsibilities to one another. So in chapters 12 through the end of the book, we are given many admonitions about how we are to live together as a community united by our faith in Christ. And we'll take a look at some of those specific admonitions as we move further on. But now I just want you to notice these two things that he says so clearly. First of all, that we belong to God, and secondly, that we belong to one another. Notice what he says in chapter 12. Uh, this is a little bit before where Ruth read, but only a couple of verses, and I did print it on the back of your message notes. He says, I, I, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is he saying? He says, because of what God has done in bringing salvation, the good news of salvation to us, we need to present our bodies to God and allow Him to transform us by the renewing of our minds. You see, your mind needs to be fixed. You need the gospel to work its way through your mind so that you begin to think God's thoughts and live God's ways. We belong to God. Yes, it's so important that we understand that we belong to God. Have you ever made a decision to respond to God and to say, Lord, I belong to you. Lord, I let go of my selfishness. Lord, I get let go of my own uh, de- self-determination, and I respond to the good news about Jesus. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. What's he mean? Well, read the first 11 chapters and you see what a great and merciful God we serve. This God, who though we were rebellious against him, came and became one of us, gave his life for us, fulfilled the requirements of God's laws for us, suffered the penalty of God's judgment for us so that we could receive the life of God through him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, which is the way most some of us older ones first memorize that verse, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifice. How can I not offer my life to the one who gave his life for me. If you have not done that, that's where you begin. But that's not where you stop. Because once you offer your life to Jesus and have him transform you from the inside out, you now become part of a family. You know, our friend Steve just had a new little grandbaby. Her name is Capri. Well, she just came into a family. She's got a brother that she's going to learn to love and probably fight with a little bit. She's got a mother. She's got a father. They're a family together. And each of them have parents beyond them. She's a part of a family. In fact, she will find her identity and herself in the midst of that family group. Yeah. In the same way, when you became a follower of Jesus, you became part of a family. You became brother and sister to others who were, uh, had, had responded in faith to the gospel of Jesus. You have the blood of Jesus Christ who cleanses us from all sin as the blood which cleanses you from your sin, and you have a blood relationship with everyone else who's a follower of Jesus, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, but especially in a local family of believers. We belong to God. If you haven't responded to God. Do that first. And then remember that when you belong to God, secondly, we belong to one another. Very next lines. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He's basically saying, you're not alone in this. Don't think it's all just about you. And he goes on to say in the very next sentence, for as 
in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This was a revolutionary thought. And in fact, oh, if I could just figure out how to get you to feel it. This is what Christianity gave to the world. Not just the message about our personal salvation with Jesus, but it, though it did give that, but with the witness to the truth of that message was this new community which revolved around that. These brothers and sisters. This, this guy's a, a, his name's Philemon. And this guy, his name's Onesimus. And Philemon is a wealthy slaveholder. And Onesimus is his slave. But when they go to church, they go to church as brothers. Right? That's a revolutionary. Over here is the, the Roman centurion who's got all the rights and responsibilities and, and power underneath him. He lives in Philippi. And, and, and over here is a woman named Lydia, a, a businesswoman who also lives there, who, uh, who sells purple. And she's a businesswoman in that culture, a Gentile person as well. And over here is a girl, we don't even know her name. She was uh, healed from a disease where she was, uh, uh, she was actually a, a slave girl who had been a... Um, you know, under the influence of demonic possession and was able to prophesy things. And she had been healed from that disease. And with all those, they had all this stuff going on, but they all showed up probably at Lydia's house. And when they did, the Roman jailer, Lydia the seller of purple, and the slave girl met together in a city called Philippi. Read about it in Acts 16. Those three converts, they were a body. Now, can you imagine that? When the Roman jailer, Goes to church the next day. Goes to work the next day. What were you doing yesterday morning? Oh, I was at Ecclesia. I was at the Ecclesia. The way. The way, what? Oh, we meet over at Lydia's house. Lydia? Who's Lydia? Well, she's another follower of Jesus. And, and, and who else is there? Well, there's also this slave. What? What are you doing hanging around with that riffraff? You're a Roman citizen. You've got power and responsibility. What are you doing? That's not the way we do life here. Well, I'm living by a brand new way. That's why Christianity was not called Christianity at first. What was it called? The way. Remember from our study of Acts? They belonged together. This was such a revolutionary idea in that day. People being brought together. And it was a brand new community. They were living. They were becoming living witnesses of God's new creation in Christ Jesus because among themselves they had become a community of faith and a community of love and a community of hope. They had a larger purpose than the selling of purple, a larger purpose than the, the, uh, the jailing of criminals. They were called to be witnesses of Jesus, and they were a community with everyone around them. This was revolutionary. In fact, I believe this is one of the main reasons why people believed that audacious story about a resurrection from the dead. I mean, only 500 people saw it. I mean, that seems like a lot. <laughs> the church you go to today is the result of less than a thousand people who saw the resurrection. What about all the rest of history? What did, they never saw the resurrection. How do they see the resurrected Jesus? Well, yes, they saw it in the word of the gospel, yes. But I believe they saw it in the community who followed the word of the gospel, these brand-new people. So that a hundred years later or so, when uh, a plague came into various, uh, around the Roman Empire, everybody left, even their loved ones, because of the sickness that was there. No one wanted to die. 
But there was one group that did stay, these followers of Jesus. They stayed. Many of them gave their lives, but of course they also saved many lives too. And when that plague was done about 100 years later, people could not believe what kind of community of love had been willing to do that because that wasn't what they were taught in their Roman culture, their Greek culture, their pagan culture, any culture, but that was the Jesus way. You come alongside those who suffer. And if you lose your life, well, you're following someone who gave his life and you have a life beyond the grave. This is the Jesus way, the centrality of community. So important, so important. It involves the preaching of the message of the gospel, but it also involves living the music of the gospel, right? The music of the gospel. You've had it happen here a few times as we come together. Sometimes when I'm working on these psalms before the next week, I think it was last week even, these psalms sort of speak to me, and I sort of have said to you, hey, here's a little tune, right? And it just, what happens there? The words hit your heart because of the music they're put in. It is the fellowship of believers, the community of followers of Jesus, which put music to the message of the gospel. Otherwise, the message sometimes just sounds shrill and like yelling. But when you see it in the lives of people who love one another, care for one another, serve one another, sacrifice for one another, pray for one another, all these one another's, somehow the words of the gospel make sense. So, the centrality of community. We belong to God, but we also belong to one another. You may have responded in faith to Jesus, and I hope you have. If you haven't, I hope you will. But perhaps you need to make a firm commitment today, whether it's here or elsewhere, to say, this is my home. This is my family. This is where I will serve. This is where I wish to be accountable. This is where I want the living out of the gospel to happen in my own community. Yes, do that, and you will see that the world will be changed starting right here in our little town of Cave Creek. I don't know if you've noticed, but Cave Creek can be somewhat of a divisive community. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe you don't realize it. Yes, you do. It's a little bit about us and them, a little bit too much. Now, Cave Creek's not the only community like that. So if you live in Scottsdale or Carefree or wherever, you're probably in this. But my goodness, why not be a community of we and us, love, sharing? Why not be that kind of community? So begin by making commitment to this church family or whatever church family you have to be part of. Well, what then are some of the characteristics? Number two, some of the characteristics of community, uh, of community that we see. Well, the Apostle Paul goes on to describe those characteristics, and I've summarized them with these three words. As a community, we serve one another, we love one another, we accept one another. These are beautiful words. Look at verses 6 to 8 in the first place, and remember these are on the back side of your message notes. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If pro prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts mercy, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What's he saying? We're part of a body, and so we need to serve one another. And here he de develops uh, various different gifts. And, you know, there are other gifts that are not in this list as well, but these are important gifts. And I don't want to stress specifics of the specifics of the gifts themselves, but rather instead the idea that we must be serving one another, involved in serving one another. That's one of the beautiful things about our church family. You know, um, as a, a brand new church startup, we're very much dependent upon what you can do to contribute to what we're doing as a church family. There are some things that, you know, that I've had to do just because it just has to be done, and it's not really in my gift mix, you know, but that's just what you do. But maybe there's some gifts that you can bring. I had a conversation with someone just this past week who said, I had to get together to talk to you about some ways, some things I can maybe do to help serve the church family. What a blessing that was for me to talk with that gentleman this, after, uh, the, this past week and to find out how God has been working in his life so that maybe he can help us move forward as a church. What a blessing that is. We're called to serve one another, finding a way to serve. Uh, Richard mentioned earlier on that, you know, People come in early to do acts of service around here, and it may seem as though it's not that big of a deal, but it really is if you're serving Jesus in the midst of that. If you come to serve Jesus as members of Christ's body, we serve one another. Serving, you know, is not a glamorous thing to do. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes serving means you sweat. <laughs> Sometimes serving means you're not appreciated. Sometimes... Uh, Serving means you get treated like a servant, <laughs> and that's no fun, is it? But we serve one another. Find a way to serve the family, and you can do that in lots of informal ways. In fact, I encourage you to do it more informally than formally, just to find ways to serve people as you see them around, as you get to know them in other ways, as you get involved with them in other times besides on Sunday mornings. Serve one another. Number two, as members of Christ's body, we love one another. We love one another. Let love be genuine, it says. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. What is this describing but a loving community? It's a genuine kind of love, it says in the ninth verse. It's a family kind of love, brotherly and sisterly. I, I have, you know... Um, Yeah, I'm thinking about someone who was uh, uh, dearly loved by me who passed away not too long ago who went to a, a, a Nazarene church and he would always refer to me as, hi, brother. How you doing, brother? And I thought, that's the way it is, isn't it? Hi, brother Bill, how you doing? Yeah, we're brothers, emphasizing that connection Here's my sister, Beverly. She's going to read Scripture. My sister, Ruth, read today, right? You know who I'm talking about, too. This idea of being brothers and sisters, we're called to love one another. Oh, 
most of us have brothers and sisters, don't we, or have had, and you know what that's like. It's not always pleasant, is it? There are conflicts that happen, but you're still connected. As members of Christ, we must love one another, a family love. Verse 11, a fervent love. Verse 12, a patient love. Verse 13, a giving love. Why do we give when we give uh, to the needs of others or to the needs of the church family? Not out of duty or obligation, but because we, we love. We love. You know, we have a son who's getting married in a few weeks, and, and we, we, we love giving towards that wedding. We love doing things for them. My wife comes home, and she loves to shop at, at places that sell stuff cheap, you know. And uh, she'll come home with all these shirts that she bought for our boys. They're grown men. They don't need shirts from their mom anymore, but that's what moms do, right? They long to give. Yeah. As we love, we choose to give. In fact, chapter 13 and verse 8 and following, we didn't look it up, but listen to what it says. Owe no one anything, which is, by the way, some good advice. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments are summed up by the one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. As a community, we become people of love. So, and thirdly, as members of Christ's body, we accept one another. And we see this especially in verses 5 to 7 of, of, of chapter 15, which, again, Ruth read for you earlier. It says there, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such a, in harmony with each other, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And the New International Version says in the seventh verse, Therefore, accept one another then as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We're called to accept other people. That must mean that we're sometimes going to be a little discouraged and not like people. You know, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to people who are Christians in the city of Rome. And they have Jewish followers of Jesus, and they have Gentile followers of Jesus in that church. And he's saying to these people, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. It takes endurance, we see at the beginning of it, and encouragement to live in harmony with other people. We need to learn how to accept others as Christ has accepted us. And so then let's look finally at the cornerstone of community because that's critical for us to see. The cornerstone of community is this phrase, as Christ has welcomed you. Verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. How is it that we can love people who are so very different than us? How is it we can love people who have such different economic backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different political backgrounds? How is it we can love people? We can love them because we are called to accept them as a response to how God has accepted us. Christ has welcomed us. How did Christ welcome us? The Bible says here in the third verse just before it, it says, For Christ did not please himself, for as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. How is it that we were welcomed by Christ? We are welcomed by Christ because Jesus took upon himself our reproaches. He took upon himself our judgment. Jesus suffered the Father's rejection 
so that we could receive the Father's acceptance. Yeah. You see, we can accept people because Jesus was willing to be rejected by the Father. When Jesus was on the cross, he said these horrific words, my God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. Why had God forsaken Jesus that day? Because when God looked at Jesus, he didn't see his perfect, sinless, absolutely loving child anymore. He saw you and me in all of our brokenness, all of our rebellion. Yes, let's call it that, rebellion within our hearts. When we shake our fist at God and say, I don't want it to be your way. God looked, the Bible says, and saw in him all of our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God has made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We have been accepted by Christ because Christ was rejected for us. And it's out of that ultimate acceptance which God has granted to us that we then can now open our hands to people around us because we can offer to people no less than what we ourselves have received from Him. Freely you have received, Jesus said. Freely give. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. You see, we are judgmental and critical and hard with other people because we are not fully seeing the image of God on the cross, of someone loving us that much. How much does Jesus love us? He extends his arms and dies. He says, this much. This is what I do to bring you to me. And so as we live in the reality of Christ's welcome of us, we now then are great, are able to offer that welcome to others, that acceptance to others, that service to others, that love to others. Yes, it takes endurance and encouragement as he talks, but the result is that with, I love how this says, grant to live in such harmony with each other in accordance with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a choir picture. Live in harmony with another. So the one voice you may glorify God. Have you ever heard a beautiful choir? Oh, there's nothing like it. And part of what makes it so great is because every person is just a small part of a beautiful whole. I sang in a great choir when I was in college at this specific university. Oh, we even won awards, Dove Awards for our music. We were a great choir. I was just one small part of that thing, but I got the blessing of it all. And because I had some musical background as well, sometimes uh, when I was a senior, different ones of us got a chance to direct that choir. Oh, it gives me chills to think about it, even today. Holding your hands up and making a downbeat and having this beautiful sound come out that is so much larger than the individual pieces that fills the whole auditorium as people are drawn into the beautiful music of the gospel. Yeah, you and I are part of that. 
May it be that we can have some beautiful harmony together. So the one voice, we can glorify God together. Oh, if you've not responded to the gospel, today is the day. And if you've not gotten involved with the community, today is the day. Let us love one another. Let us serve one another. Let us accept one another. Let us lay down our lives for one another. Let's pray as we close. Dear Jesus, thank you for allowing us to be part of this wonderful community in a world fractured and divided. Help us to be a people who love, who serve. And may we, in beautiful harmony, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we live like new creation in the midst of this world which has lost its moorings and is floating on the winds of public opinion or whatever feels good. May we be a united voice of people called to faith in the gospel of Christ. As we live in this world where people are bickering and fighting and angry and, 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 and judging others, may we with one voice become a community gathered in love as a community of Jesus. And when this world which has lost its direction doesn't know what it's going for, may we become people of hope, sent with hope on the mission of Jesus, declaring to one and all that Jesus, the crucified, resurrected Jesus, is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And he lives in our hearts as we respond to him in faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.